Welcome to Tub Talks. I'm Jean Viev. I grew up learning the most through conversations in the hot springs with everyone from close family to complete strangers in the tubs at Esalen and Big Sur. There's a special kind of intimacy that's created when people strip down and share freely in the bath. On Tub Talks, we will soak in the wisdom and creativity offered from friends in all walks of life and relax into the process of growth together. In the ways that soaking becomes a deeper relaxation over time, freeform conversation allows for us to undress our insecurities and share our process and lifestyle in true authenticity. So, hello from my tiny clawfoot bath under an oak tree. Let's get into today's episode. In this Tub Talks, we cover a few firsts. Our first hot tub tub talks with our first pregnant guest, Asuka Matsumiya, who is eight and a half months along. Asuka inspires me in so many ways, from her fearlessness in life to the music she scores for films and how she has mothered since she was 19 years old and is now reimagining motherhood anew 20 years later. In this soak, we learn about music, Japanese cultural differences, trust falling into intuition, and simply how to enjoy life. Welcome, Oscar. Well, welcome to Tub Talks. I guess I want to start by just, can you tell me about like who you are? How would you self-describe? Where are you from? What do you do? I grew up in Japan till I was 12. And then um, I've been here since. Wow. For like, well, over 20 years. But you still have a really strong accent compared to a lot of people who immigrate, like you, it seems that you probably identify with your Japanese identity more than like other people who immigrate at that age. It's funny because my brother doesn't have any accent. See? Yeah. yeah. And I also, I, I think maybe I might have some sort of like, like I have an accent. My Japanese is also kind of funny. Really? Yeah. And people notice in Japan. Uh-huh. They think you're from somewhere else. Uh, they just say that my uh, like pronunciation or my accent is like funny with some words. So it might just be like my, the way I speak. Yeah. yeah. Or also it could be a combination of identifying with your Japanese culture, but then also immigrating to somewhere else where you had to assimilate. Yeah. Yeah. And then neither is like fully an identity. I guess like I remember my brother actually practicing to have perfect accent. In English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing that. <laughs> I was, I had no interest of doing that. Yeah, you're like, I don't need to be perfect <laughs> no. in that. No. But it's interesting because he moved back. He moved back, yeah. He moved back, yeah. And his Japanese is like, is it perfect? His Japanese and English is beyond way more perfect than mine. Wow. Yeah. So maybe that's just him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> when you moved over, do you move to L.A.? No, we moved to um, Northern California. Oh, wow. Because uh, that was the only pl- place where my dad had a friend. Why did you guys move here? He really wanted to, because you saw my dad playing didgeridoo yeah. prior to this talk. Uh, he really didn't want to raise us in an environment where you're taught to suppress your expressions. And he just like felt like that was so against like all the things that he believed in. Was this in the 90s? Uh, yeah. 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 And 90s Japan was, like, inherently so different than now. I mean, it's still, if you go to school there, it still is like that. Oh, really? It is. In what sense? In a sense that, like, 
raising your voice or raising your opinion, like, you know, expressing yourself so strongly is not like something that like they, it's appreciated or respected. And so you've always identified with, you're super outspoken, I feel like, like you have opinions, so culturally. I think it's from the way that my dad, my parents raised me and chose to move us. Wow. Yeah, for sure. And so then they just moved here without like a plan or a job. They were like, we just need to move to California. We just moved. I remember us going to like a store to get all our furniture and he had like a bag of cash. <laughs> I don't know why, but we bought all our furniture. <laughs> we didn't bring anything, we just moved. Wow. Yeah. Did you, were you already into music then? I studied um, classical piano since I was uh, three. Wow. I had, a, I had a really difficult time um, speaking when I was little. Just speaking in general? Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I, I was really, um, I didn't really start to engage or communicate with other people outside of my family until I was a little older. Oh. So my mom was really concerned of course and she talked to someone and they said oh, maybe you should get her into having different way to express and i really really resonated with piano that's beautiful so i just started playing piano all the time yeah and you still do you still what not as much as i used to really not as much as i want to i have like this like re um, relationship with piano that I feel guilty if I don't devote myself fully and I can't like do half, just like casual. So my relationship with piano has always been really extreme. It's either like I'm like practicing hours or I'm just not touching at all. How does that work with your work? Cause you do scores now, right? I mean, the, the practice I was doing with piano is very different okay. because it was very like studying classical music and practicing and really training and, you know, scoring and composing is, you know, more creating. So it's not so much like executing like techniques and, you know, learning classical pieces. It's very like a different, um, like a mechanism. Yeah, it's a different way to relate. Mm hmm. And mm -hmm. so you don't consider composing part of your like personal practice with it's piano? Not. No. It's not. No. Wow, it's that's not. interesting. Yeah, composing is more free and yeah, I don't have the pressure the in the same way that I have with devoting yourself to learning pieces. Did you always know that you wanted to do something in music as a career? Because you started when you were really young. Like when I met you, I think you were making pop music still. I was making like indie music and also then I was making something with Japan. Yeah. I, I've always only wanted to do something to do with music. Yeah. That's always, oh, I, I just never had any other thing. It's never been anything else. But your dad, did he do it professionally at that time too when you moved here? Like the didgeridoo? No. No. <laughs> no. No. He he's very musical. Yeah. He's always sung and played guitar. Like he's he's a very musical person, but no. How did because now it's become more normalized to do things that are soul alternative, but when I was growing up in the 90s at Esalen, they had didgeridoo meditations, and mm -hmm. that's actually probably the basis of how I do what I do is cuz I saw that the didgeridoo can be so healing for people's bodies. Also, 
we didn't say it yet, but Oscar's about to give birth in like 10 days. <laughs> Probably sooner. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that you're in a tub with me right now is amazing. <laughs> you're so pregnant. It's crazy. I'm so pregnant. Do you, when you compose, does he turn around and stuff? Like what's the, no, he's not. No. Engaged. It's funny because you sometimes you hear about like uh, pregnant women having surge of like creativity or like feeling more like, I don't know, energized. Yeah. And like since I've been pregnant, I have no desire to create anything <laughs> else on the baby. Really? Like I really just don't have any desire to learn or create or do anything. Wow. And like I just I can't even like pretend or fight it. Right. Yeah. But I mean, you still are working. I'm still working, but I like... You know, like normally I just have more time where I'm creating my own music or doing other things or learning. Mm -hmm. And I like stopped everything because I just have no desire. Was that how it was when you had Babel? Because you were really young when you had her. So this is a completely different time it's in your life. It's just a completely different experience. Yeah. yeah. It was actually very difficult for me to give that part of my... Because I associate so much of my identity as a creator. I had a difficult time during pregnancy to just be okay to not want to do anything and not want to create and not feel creative. Mm. You know, it was almost like this weird switch that I had to just embrace what's happening to me right now. Was that the first time in your life? Kind of. You were 19 when you had Babel. Were you already working in music? I was playing in bands. Yeah. Like, I was in a punk band. <laughs> yeah, how did your music career start? I actually don't know. I studied uh, classical music, uh, piano since I was three. And I went to, like, alternative schools. Yeah. And had private tutors because I really wanted to go to Juilliard. That was my biggest dream since I was little. I wanted to be a classical pianist. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was 16, I went to art school, but I was in music department and still, you know, training to go to Ju Juilliard. And I met all the art punk kids and I became friends with them and then they were like do you want to go to a punk show and I had never ever seen a show where people were like it was so free yeah and different than everything I was taught wow and it blew my mind so much that I was like what it like really changed my perspective on what I was doing and I think that week I joined a punk band <laughs> Because I was like, this is what I should be doing. <laughs> You're like, this is my form of expression. Yeah, I was like, wait, this is the way art should be expressed, not like what I'm doing. You know, like learning... Other people's music. Other pe people's music. It's, there's so much depth and beauty to it, but it like opened something new to my eyes. I guess I was like maybe 15. And then I joined the punk band and I quit my school. Well, you just dropped out of school completely. I just dropped out of school. So you never went back to school? No, I went. I just started touring with, in, with punk band. Wow. Yeah, instead of going to high school. Did your parents care? Oh, my God. They, like, devoted their whole life into raising me to be a classical pianist. <laughs> you know? Oh, shit. <laughs> like, it was, like, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. But you just had to do it. I just had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So. You've always been that way, huh? Just like, you're like, I'm just going to do this. I have to do it. I've always lived very intuitively. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, I guess like that intuition feels so strong that I can't really do anything else than what I intuitively feel. And I've really always followed that. And you've always trusted it. Yeah. That's I just beautiful. don't have a choice though. Oh, like I just compulsion. feel, it's like almost like that's just the way I think I'm programmed. 
to live. Has it? Have you felt like it ever led you in a wrong direction? No. 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 no I don't think so. That's cool. Yeah. So were you doing the punk music while you were pregnant with Babel? So I actually got pregnant and I was on tour when I found out that I was pregnant. No and we were supposed to fly to London, but I was in my first trimester. And like, it's like being in a punk band, you're like unloading and loading instruments. And it's tough. It's rough because we're like, you yeah, know, we're not, not making not any money. We don't have roadies. And like, you know, <laughs> so I actually called my bandmates and I said, guys, I'm pregnant. I, I can't go on tour. I have to quit. Immediately. They didn't speak to me for years. Wow. Yeah. So I quit. What were you doing in the punk band? I was playing keyboard. So yeah. you weren't like singing or anything? No. And then when you quit, were you like, oh, okay, my life's now devoted to having a child? Or you were just like, I'm going to integrate music in a different way? I didn't. I wasn't really thinking. I was just pregnant and <laughs> I took a break, you know? I was still playing like in bands mm-hmm. after I had Babel, but. What kind of bands? Like indie rock. I lived in Seattle. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Oh, I didn't even know that you lived in Seattle. Yeah. That makes sense, even for punk music. Yeah. It was like sub pop and like, you know, that like whole indie scene era. And I was really deeply in it. Wow. Yeah. So. So do you like all genres of music then? I do. That's also really unique. Maybe not all genre, Mm -hmm. but I definitely tapped into like punk music and electronic music and classical music. Do you think that they fulfill different parts of you or like, how do you relate to it? It integrates a lot in my score because I feel like lots of the music that I make for the film, I integrate classical and electronic and it's like a balance of like music that has so much tradition and skeleton versus something that's just like you're breaking every form of what is, you know, meant to be yeah, uh, all format. The rules. Yeah, so there's like, I, I feel like I'm like in between there and I apply that to lots of my scores and I feel like lots of people come to me to score films when they're seeking something different. Yeah. I mean, now you've built such a profound career in scoring, even in the time that I've known you, which is probably, I mean, now it's probably like I've known you for 10 years. Yeah. You're Um, a little girl. Yeah. (laughs) When I met you, you and Desiree were living together, I think. How old were you? I was in college. Yeah, I, I remember like graduated. I remember just like seeing like young girl <laughs> on our couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would come and visit uh-huh. down from Reed. I was living in Portland, and when I'd come and visit, I'd come always make sure that I saw Des. And then I think even you and I didn't really connect until after she passed away, mm-hmm. and it was like a point of connection that we both lost someone that we. She was so special to both of us. She is so special to both of us. Mm -hmm. And that created a point of connection in the same way for me with Cassia. Mm. You know? Yeah, because you were almost, it was like, I guess like Desiree was someone who was able to connect with everyone. Yeah. But I guess like in a way, like you just seemed so young (laughs) when I first met you. (laughs) I was pretty young. Yeah. And just not in this world at all. So I was particularly young because I was just being a nerd in school and then I had this friend that was really alive and you guys were always surfing all the time and Mm -hmm. at the time you were you guys were doing UFO but like in a sense UFO would have fit a crystal bowl band would have done really well at Secular Savage we would have done really well in 2023 yeah yeah we were way too ahead you were way too ahead of it imagine if you guys came out now people would be booking UFO for everything I kind of want to bring it back I told Cassia that we should bring it back for 2024 
That's a great idea. But it's idea. like 12 years later. Also, it's cool because you'll have a baby then, and that's great for you baby. You need a community. Yeah, yeah, you need a community. It's a great time to bring UFO back. I had a dream. Oh, really? Yeah, of telling Cassia that we should reunite in 2024. But you guys can always do Secular Sabbath. That would be fun. That would be so fun. That would be really fun. Yeah, so when we met, I don't feel like you were doing scores then. No. You, you were doing pop Japanese music. Right? I was making, um, I was asked to make like album in Japan. So I was doing that. And I was doing like commercials. And I was in a band like UFO and I was doing ESB, which was like electronic band. Mm. Yeah, that's what I was doing. How did you transition? Was it conscious? No. I started doing songs, uh, music for Crystal, yeah. Moselle, the director. That she was the became, first time I heard it when you did Skate Kitchen. Yeah, she became one of my best friends from partying. And then she would be like, I need sound for this or this. or she was, she was making like small fashion clips. Yeah. So I started just making little sounds for them. And then she made Wolfpack. And that was my first actual score. The oh, film you, score. I didn't know you did the score for Wolfpack. Yeah, I did it with uh, other, two other composers, but we did it together. Wow. You know, my first job as an intern was for Crystal. Oh, for what? It was, I was going to school. I was in my second year at Reed, and I had just finished my first year of college, and Desiree and I were already friends, and I was going to New York for the summer to nanny because I had this family that I had nannied for the summer before in the Hamptons, and so they only needed me during the weekends, and then I was free during the week. So I asked Desiree if she knew anyone in New York because she had just moved, like, the year before to L.A. that I could intern with because I really wanted to work in film, and so she connected me with a couple people, and she was like, I think you and Crystal will really get along. Hmm. And so Crystal was like, yeah, and I worked on, like, some Kate Spade commercial with her. I probably did the score. You probably <laughs> did. It was, like, a girl in a car yeah, and yeah, the presents. Yeah. She was like, I it was did a the score for that. No yeah, way. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And she was like, look, you could do this with me. Like, you could PA or you can assist me if you want. And I considered dropping out of college. And I chose not to because I was like, no, I really want to finish this thing that I started. But it was kind of a precipice in my life where I could have stayed in New York and kept working with Crystal and like helped her on the Wolfpack or whatever. And wow, yeah, that's so interesting how cycles come back around. So you started working with Crystal and that opened the door. Yeah, and I just started doing more films and I also realized that I was very inspired by visuals mm. and like also because I, my early age. Lots of my expression was through music. Yeah. You know, like making film music is exactly that. It's yeah. like me like giving voice to emotions and, ex you know, accenting more emotions. And it's something that is very, I guess, like it comes very naturally for me. That makes sense. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. Like it just made sense to me. And through doing that, you also pick other artists that you like to collaborate with. Like you had Mike come on to a song, I remember. And yeah. Like that adds something different to it. Do you just feel into that intuitively? You're like, oh, I, I like the way this person does this thing. I think it's just intuitive and also like being inspired by other artists. And I want to actually like this year start doing my own music again. Because actually, I, when I worked on After Yang with Ryuichi Sakamoto, I met him in New York. And I have been a diehard fan of Ryuichi Sakamoto since I was young. Wow. So when I met him, we, we met for coffee and we spoke for a long time. 
And he said, I know that like you're doing so you know, well with your film scores, but like you have to always take time. And when you do this, put everything aside and to seek and to, I guess, like dedicate to making your own music. He was like, that's so important that you have to do this. And he said, just say no to everything else, pause everything else. And even if nothing comes out, go sit at your desk every day and just dedicate your time to this. Have you done it yet? Um, I actually made one song that we're going to make a video. Oh, yeah. I'm putting out. I remember you told me. Yeah. I love that director, too. Yeah. It'll be cool. Yeah, so I'm going to start to do it. Is Um, that something that you want to do in, like, the next phase of your life, momming and... I think I want to do both. Well, my idea, because I finished raising a child, my fantasy was that I was going to have lots of time. dedicate to my art (laughs) and not to somebody else so I would have the space to do that yeah that was my fantasy version well that's not happening but it just turns out that I always have to find that in chaos (laughs) that's just like my life so yeah yeah, but that was like the original plan I mean you got pregnant within a year of her being out of the house right it was like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a year and a half. Yeah, it was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most beautiful time. One of the most beautiful time of my life, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Well, it was now like you amazing. have a little baby yeah. <laughs> all over I again. I know. 19 years later. It's a weird cycle that I'm on. Well, you know, my sister and I are 25 years apart in age. That's crazy. Yeah. So my mom did something similar. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a psychotic behavior. No, I think it's the universe. Don't you think that it like could be just the universe working with you? It is. Yeah. You know, because there's no any other reason. So when you work on things and you're pregnant, does it change your relationship to working on a thing? I mean, during pregnancy, I just I could not. But you still did. I mean, I'm still working on the TV show right now. And I'm finishing up, but the silence and amount of um, kind of like seeking into yourself to create something for yourself, you need full energy for that. You know, I can do the scores. To create something from nothing, it takes more. Mm. Yeah. It's like a different skill set. It's a different, um, yeah, you need more space. Interesting. Yeah. When you made, I don't know if it just seems like it, but After Yang is doing really well as a soundtrack. Does that feel like a personal piece, too, in its own way? Of course. Yeah. You know, of course it does. Like, I listen to it. Oh. I do. I listen to it just for fun. In my, I put songs into my ambient playlist because they feel like they can exist on their own. Mm-hmm. And I've only had that with a few people who do composition and, and create scores. But, like, there's this one artist I love, Mark Bradshaw, who did this, like, really indie film that I love. Which one? You Won't Be Alone. Oh. It's the film from Macedonia. Yeah. But it's an Australian team that made it. Oh, yeah, I want to see that. It's, oh, my gosh. You will love the score. Okay. The score is insane. And I was like, I just have to find this person. And it turned out that the man who DP'd the film 
we've been following each other for a while on Instagram and we wanted to be friends. Like we've always tried to see if we could work on a project together or something. And I didn't realize he did the work on it. Like oh, he, wow. He, he was, it. Yeah, he's a cinematographer for it. Mm. So I wrote him. I was like, hey, I've looked for Mark Bradshaw everywhere on the Internet. Like I can't find him. Is there any way you'd be willing to connect with me or like show show me where his Instagram is? And he like sent me his Instagram, and I. How is he so hard to find? He's not that hard, but it's just not that. It's not an uncommon name,、um, you know.、Mm. So it's like I I want to talk to the person too. I don't want to like reach out to their management. Right, right, right. Because what I do is so personal that、mm. a management team will just be like, "That's weird." Like an ambient music night. I don't know. It, it hasn't really hit mainstream in the same way. And has he done、uh, collaborated with you guys? Not yet, but he lives in London, and so I've I've. Followed him and I wrote him and then we've been we've had a Zoom or two and like he, I think he's so talented that I'm like、well, the next time we go to London we have to do something together or like if he comes out here but I think that's part of it like when you're so moved by music you have to pursue it yeah or I have to pursue it yeah have you ever had that with certain artists where you like find their music and you're like I need or even like you working with that director you I was, mean I have that all the time everybody、yeah. I collaborate with it's like I see them and I'm like I need to connect with them like、yeah. it's like desire yeah、know? now me and Crystal actually always talk about like with creative projects we like always talk about how like we will move a mountain you know if that's what we need to make it happen but it's like a force. Maybe that's、feel. a key. Yeah, having that force is essential, but maybe that's a key to success. Not everybody intrinsically has that. Yeah, that maybe they keep pushing. But you're just like I just need to do move this mountain, you know, and you just do it. Yeah, yeah. Have you had pieces that were really hard for you to work on to figure out a way to relate to it? Like,、What、how do you, do you work through creative blocks? I guess when I work on projects, and I think it's gonna actually be more challenging when I start to do more my personal stuff again. Oh yeah, I should, I should give you because I I wrote a piano album, maybe two months after Desiree died, and I recorded it and I never put it out. I should give it to you. Yeah, why didn't you put it out? We could put it out on Secular Sabbath. We should. Yeah. I all send it to you. Yeah,、it's, send it to it's me. It's just like, I actually like miked piano. And sent it to real to real and like some effects, so it comes to me like a loop, and I'm playing to myself, so it's like infinite conversation with my thought. Wow! And、uh, our mutual friend Desiree and I, mutual friend, called me after she died because I like was in such shock. Well, I mean, I just want to say briefly that the way that our friend died was a freak accident surfing, where the board snapped, right, and、yeah. punctured her artery, and she just died. Yeah. And she was 36. She was really young. Yeah. And it was shocking for all of us because no one expects that to happen. And she wasn't a bad surfer either. She was a good surfer. Yeah, it was a、yeah. freak accident. Yeah. So,、And、so you were in shock. I was in such state of shock that、um, I like blocked some of the memory from that time because we also lived together. I remember coming the day after she passed and seeing you and Babel in your in her room, looking at her clothes. And all of us were just like moping around the house, not really sure what to do, just in shock. Yeah, it was shocking. And Cassia ordered food for everybody, because no one knew what to do with themselves. But we all just wanted to be together. I know, it was really crazy. But it was your home that you guys shared. Yeah, yeah. So he was like, maybe like you should record what you're going through. So I went, I flew to Portland, and then we recorded this album. It's all improv piano. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to hear it. I think like 
when I start to do my personal stuff, I will definitely have more challenges. Have you done personal stuff before? Yeah, I used to when I was younger. And what did that feel like? I mean, I remember like I wrote like, because I was also like I was in a punk band, but then I was, I, came, I went back to classical music, and I remember like around when I was 25 is when I started making stuff for Crystal. But then I also started writing my own music. Mm-hmm. I met lots of artists in LA. That's when I maybe moved to LA. Was when I was 23. Where were you living before? Seattle. Oh, that whole time. Yeah, but then like I started to meet meeting like different kind of artists and. I started writing my own songs, and actually one of the first songs I ever wrote on the guitar was used for Spike Jones' short film, I'm Here. No way. Yeah, there are many of us. Wow. But um, that was like the first song I think I ever wrote on my own, just by myself, and it was a band, or it was it came truly from me. Did it feel surreal to see it, your first song, be placed somewhere? I mean, it be, it was like the theme of the film. So like, it was like I was in the film and like playing in the film, and like it was this thread that like tied the story in his film, and it was you know mind blowing. And I was like, wow, I can't believe this could actually be my work. Because Spike, I guess like at the time, like when I when I met Spike, he was like, you know, like you can make things and that could be like your work. And I was like, what? That's possible. <laughs> So that was the first time you realized that? Yeah, I didn't even know that you could do that. That you could make something and that's it? Yeah, like that just could be my occupation. So I was like lost, you know, juggling many random works. What were you doing? I wrote for a Japanese fashion magazine. I did like consulting for this brand, like just like many random I played yeah. piano for ballet classes. Wow, you were a hustler. Yeah, I had to because I had, I had a baby Yeah. since I was 19. Wow. So I had random jobs. So then in between that, you would find time to play, make music? Yeah, I started to, especially like when I met, when I moved to LA and I like met lots of artists. Was Babel's dad in Port, or in, in Seattle too? Yeah. And then you guys moved together here or no? Uh, we moved together, yeah. 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 I guess I, I remember like feeling like I needed to get out of Seattle. So I moved and then he also moved. But you guys were already separated. Yeah, yeah. But I always have admired how you guys were able to co-parent in a healthy way. Like it seems like you had a, you've always had a really healthy dynamic and and friendship. I mean, it took years. Oh, it took years. Yeah, we had many moments of wanting to kill each other. Also, <laughs> you know. But you got to the other side. No, but there, there. I guess like even then, we had that. But for some reason, with her dad. No matter how crazy things got or how crazy one or the other behaved, there was a deep connection Mm. between us, like always. Secular Sabbath was born out of the desire to give all people a way to reclaim the day of rest through coming together and sharing in ambient music experiences. Now we have brought this community online through our Inner Circle membership. Joining the Secular Sabbath membership community unlocks ticket events, musical artifacts, artist-curated playlists, our book club, and more. You can sign up through our show notes. Join our Inner Circle today. We look forward to meeting you.
wait, so you were doing all these odd jobs and then you had a song. So many odd jobs. A song get placed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's always, people don't realize, kids, especially young people, because they always see success now on the internet and they think it happened overnight or it was a chance or like this person just knew what they wanted to do and they made it happen. But in my experience of talking to friends who are really successful or even in what I do, people look at it and they're like, oh, wow, you really like just found your own lane. But I had to try so many things to get there. Right. And you've been doing that for For, like, yeah, like whatever you're doing, you've been kind of doing it for a really long time. Doing it for a long time, yeah. And it's the same with you with music. It's like, yes, now you have accolades and you have, you're constantly working and you'll, you'll probably never be and I pray you'll never be in a deficit of work with scoring. But that's because you've also done so many things and like tried different ways of interacting with music to get to that place where you found something that really is easy for you to fit yeah, into. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, like everything that you do in life, they always somehow weave together. And you see those moments where when like things weave together. Mm-hmm. And it is always just like that. Like everything that you do is meaningful. You just don't know how it's going to tie in. Yeah. And it's always going to tie in in a way that is... You You don't expect. No, you never expect it. You think that it's going to be like, oh, I'm doing this... I worked for this random Chinese company doing, like, events, but now I've incorporated all of those events into the landscape of Secular Sabbath. Like, I have a book club. I have these things, and I... It was always in my heart that I wanted to do those things. Mm. So whether it was for some random meetup type company or if it was for myself. Like it just tied in, like all the skills and all the experience that you had. Yeah. Yeah. Even being able to like do stuff on a website. When I first moved to LA, I helped my friend who owned a store doing like the back end stuff. So looking at the back end of the website, I still have to do that sometimes for our website. Mm. I don't love doing it, but I know how. how. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Having skill sets, like you can never go wrong having a a new skill set. And the girl that works with me on the, on Secular Sabbath stuff, she was even saying, I don't know how I'm going to use these things in the future, but I am learning new things. And that's a huge part of it. It's like, yeah, we learned how to set up the universal audio and now I know how to set up microphones. I could use this for anything. You just don't know how it's going to come. Yeah. And like play into your life. What about when you were working in the fashion, the random fashion jobs? Have they helped in some way that you can see? I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, even I guess scoring fashion films, that was your first your first scoring. Yeah, it was like lots of fashion stuff that I started with. I don't know. It's probably like integrated with like, I guess like learning how to work with people. That's you know, huge. And like how to interact with people. Because I never really did that before. Because I've always been like, you know, in punk band or, you know. I guess like it, also it was for a Japanese company. It actually like taught me like the dynamic of how to interact in Japanese culture, which I had never really experienced because I grew up here. And I really had to adapt to learning that. What is that like? I mean, it's just completely different. You know, the way you interact with each other and how you do business in Japan is just completely different than America. What's an example of something where you felt a friction? I mean, I guess like you're like working with Japanese company, you know, like in America, it's like everything is contracted and like other, unless there's contract, you don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, lots of the trust come from just words, exchanging words. And it's almost rude to start doing paperwork or like start making them really formatted. 
It's just very different. Like the way everything functions in Japan is very different. Yeah, I noticed that trying to even do a secular Sabbath there, because when you told me you were pregnant, we were actually in Japan together randomly,、mm-hmm. and we met up for dinner, and you were like, by the way, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and when we were there, we had tried to do a, organize a secular Sabbath, and I found it really difficult because I didn't know how to interact with people. Yeah, you, you, it's, you really, it's, you need to have someone in between, in a way, if you don't know. How was that assimilating for your family then being here? But your dad was already so different. I mean, the thing is, he never had to work for anyone.、Mm. He always had his own business, so it's very different. But you're working with other people, and you're, this, whatever you're doing you know, requires you to interact and connect with other people, then you really have to know the man, like a whole different set of mannerism. Yeah, and what's polite there is so different than what's polite here. Yeah, it's just very different. What is that like when you've spent a lot of time there? Have you spent a lot of time there?、Yeah. I mean, I do. I do. Like, I try to go there. And I also have a company in Japan. With oh, my you、brother. do? Yeah. What's your company there?、Uh, we have a company called Black Cat, White Cat Music.、Uh, it's inspired by、um, Emiya Kusturica film. What? What's Amazing Serbian director. Really? You've never seen his no, films. No, I haven't. He's incredible. Like, what, what are they called? Black Cat, White Cat. Time of Gypsies. I haven't seen any of it. He's an amazing director. What's、Beautiful. the, is it poetic? What makes it so amazing? Because he's,、uh, I think he lives in Serbia with gypsies. And like all the music he's made with, is actual from gypsies. And he, he really captures like a real, like he uses lots of the gypsies in his、um, films too. But it captures like, it's very raw、wow. and beautiful and magical. And so it's part, is it like Luis Buñuel? You know, he would incorporate, he was a Spanish director. I don't know his films.、Uh, he did, they're from so long ago, but he did the first kind of surrealist films. It's very like surreal, yeah. And he would incorporate, like if there were lepers in the story, he would bring people who were actually lepers and have them be in the film. It's, ki- it's kind of like surreal and real. Yeah. I mean, because I guess like real is the most surreal, you know? Yeah. So his films are kind of like that. But,、um, Our company,、um, we have a music production, production company where we use artists from all over the world. We do like Japanese production music with four films. Now we're starting to do films. We do TV, lots of commercials, lots of campaigns, lots of like sound or、based、sound in installations,、Japan. but we're based in Japan. There's not many、um, companies in Japan, music production companies, that use、uh, artists from all over the world. But we have, because we grew up here. So, we have connections to like so many artists. We kind of wanted to start it because we wanted to use true like musicians to do music and not someone who's just like making jingles or like commercials. I heard a, a statement come out about how there's all this old commercial music from Japan that's ambient that people are now wanting to listen to that didn't, they're trying to like find the commercials and. Save that music and use in the ambient space. And a lot of Japanese people are like confused、oh, about、really? it. Yeah. That's funny. I don't know if that was like something that Japanese ambient has become bigger now or if, if they're like, oh no, we've always been into this. I think Japanese ambient is getting bigger. Really? I think so. I, I feel like I hear more like avant garde Japanese musician music. It's interesting to see that there's, there's more of a, a room for it, but Japanese kind of always had the stronghold on ambient music.、Mm-hmm. 
I feel like Japanese audience has like different space to listen to music or appreciate art. You In know? what sense? I guess like they're more comfortable with silence and space and things not being like so、uh, fast or dramatic or, you know. Do you feel that that's true for you as well? Yeah, for sure. And、yeah. you didn't get like so Americanized? No, like I feel like I was actually like looking into more like Japan or Germany to release my music. Really? Yeah, like to start there, I guess. Because I feel like there's more like audience for me. Where, like the way they listen to music or appreciate music. When you make music for yourself, are you looking, like, are you thinking that it's going to be within a genre? I don't think so. You're just going to make it and see where it lands. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even like the new songs that I made, that I'm making video for, it's like synthesizer, like, it's electronic, but I don't know what genre it is. And there's not like structures, you know? And like, I don't really have desire to. Make an album or like have something that's structured. Yeah. It's just not where I am in my life. When you make music as a woman and you work in a space that is primarily masculine, especially with, I mean, I'm sure people ask you about that all the time. The、like、film industry? Yeah, the film industry and doing scores. Like, there aren't that many female composers that I know of. Maybe、There's、it's because there are now. There are. Yeah. But when you started, were there? I don't think there was. I think now they definitely are putting more effort into hiring female composers, for sure. Yeah. So you see more of their work. But is it just that women weren't, haven't been able to like, have access to those kinds of instruments or that kind of job, or there's no one saw them in that space? I'm sure. You know, it's like history of. I think, I think、uh, also, like, film industry is very masculine, has、mm-hmm. been very masculine.、Yeah. Do you experience anything in that, or you just work well with men? I work pretty well with men, and I haven't felt so much of like a dynamic、mm-hmm. like、just because I'm a woman. I haven't really felt that so much. But I guess like sometimes I do like experience sometimes when we're like in Zoom or something, and like there's like always like a guy who just takes over the whole meeting. <laughs> it doesn't give space to anyone. <laughs> You know? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It'll be like three females and like two guys, and one guy will just like just take over. <laughs> bulldoze. Yeah, yeah, bulldoze the meeting. And you're like, wow, like it's funny because that's something that women don't do to each other.、Mm. You know, we hold space for each other. We just are used to it, maybe. Yeah. Holding space for a male. Yeah. So we just naturally do that. But I, I notice, like, wow, we don't do that to each other. That's interesting. Yeah. But I also think that plays into your music. You're like, a lot of it sounds like you hold space, even in your music, like allowing there to be more space in it. In your music inherently is more feminine. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And maybe, maybe it's also like maybe being like Japanese.、Mm. Yeah. And you really identify with your Japanese self. I do. I think when it comes to art and music and. I guess even like the kind of music I appreciate, and even films, I like it when there's space that is like created for you to feel things.、Yeah. And like I like silence, and like I like not being afraid of silence or space or awkwardness, or you know, I don't like to feel everything. And I, I really love that about some of the Japanese films. You know, like you're not like just expressing everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I find beauty in that for sure. 
When you picked me up last week, you were playing a Japanese artist because you were watching a Japanese TV show. That's like, um, what is it, like a First romance? Love. It's called First Love. What kind of TV show is it? It's inspired by a 90s Japanese pop song that was like the number one song. If you ask anybody like in their mid-30s, they had a moment with this song. <laughs> like it's like just given. <laughs> But um, it was inspired by the song, and um, it's like a Japanese drama, like romance. But it's like interesting because it's about like the first love that you experience, and that love being like the threat to the character's like whole life. Oh wow! That's very Asian. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a true thing that people feel. There's a resonance there. I think some there. people do. You really? Know, I'm not that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't have that, but it was good. I you finished it. it. I finished it in like two days. And when you when you watch it, you listen to all the music from it too. Like it creates a world of of it for you. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it was fun. I love that you like you integrate that into your life now too. Even though you live in California, you've lived here for a really long time. You live in LA. You still immerse yourself in the music and the film and the media of your birth culture. Mm-hmm. Even with like some of the expressions, you know, and like even like lyric expression, lyrical expressions, or there's things that I, you only understand because you speak the language. Yeah, like Japanese words are so beautiful. What's and I like read a- lots of Japanese books too. You mean they're beautiful in the way that they sound, or they're beautiful in their meaning? Like, what's a word that has meaning that is not translatable? You know, I studied linguistics, so I'm really into this. That's like my deepest interest is understanding how language can express something of a culture that I might not be able to understand because I don't live, speak that language and I don't know that culture. So then like there's a whole belief system or understanding in the world that I cannot understand because it's not inherent to my or intrinsic to my my culture. Mm hmm. In German, there's like a lot of words that have that. My favorite one is Lebensabschnittsgefährte, which is the person in the passenger. Like it translates exactly to the person. Like Leben is life. Abschnitt is like a piece cut out of a hole. Gefährte is like person in the passenger seat of the car. So it's like the person who's your life partner for this moment in time. Mm. And I love that mm. because we don't even have a, a concept like that in English. Yeah. And Germans always make fun of me. Like every German person I know probably knows that I love that word because I always bring it up because I think it's such a, an interesting concept that is not shared in American English. Mm-hmm. I guess like it does come from like history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are so many of that in Japan. I have one, but I don't want to... Like, I know the meaning, but I can't remember the exact word, and I don't want to... Well, what is the meaning? It's just, like, saying that uh, it's a, like, Buddhism belief. It's, like, the belief that the ones that you love, you will meet again in different life. I love that. And there's this expression, and I can't remember the word right now. It's okay, you're pregnant. Yeah, I have a pregnancy. You have the fog. I have a crazy fog. Really? Yes. It's, Did you have that the first time or you can't even remember it because it was such a fog? I can't remember anything. It was 19 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not even really. And I wasn't probably, I was probably not even paying attention to anything because <laughs> I was 19. Now you just have the regular brain fog of the pregnancy. It's, it's real. Really? Yes. 
Yes. Yeah, I have a few friends pregnant right now, and they all say the same thing about the fog. No, it's like so real, like, because I'm working on this intense score for a fantasy action TV show. And I'm like writing orchestral arrangement, and like sometimes I'm just like going, like, what am I doing? Where does this go? I like can't think. Wow. Yeah, I like have a fog. Do you think that the fog comes because you're just supposed to be present? No, I think、uh, it's actually like all the blood is going to your baby, so it's not going to your brain. Oh. So you have less blood going into your brain, like oxygenating your brain. So you're actually thinking less. You're actually not able to think. Yeah, you're actually thinking less because it's all going to the baby instead of your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Did you surf while pregnant? Till six months. I kind of want to talk to you about surfing and like how that plays into your life. Is it a hobby? Is it something that like your spiritual practice?、Uh, Cassia introduced me to surfing. Really? Yeah. When you were doing UFO, or like, were you friends before? I was scoring her surf film. That's how you met. Yeah, she. We met, and then she asked me to score her surf film, and I was watching. You know, it's like when you're scoring because you're like paying att- attention to such precise moments, and I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. I mean, especially the way she surfs. How does she surf? So gracefully and so. It's like graceful and playful and. It's almost like she's dancing on the waves, the way she surfs. And I told her, I was like, wow, the, I want to try surfing. Like, I'm watching you, and like, it's so beautiful. I want to try this. And then she goes, well, here's your board and wetsuit. And like, he, she gave me everything. <laughs> and she was like, okay, let's go surf. That's so cast. So we started surfing. And you and Des started together? No, she was already surfing before me. Oh, really? Yeah. But then you guys went on all these crazy like, surf trips and stuff. So, when I started surfing, I fell so deep into it that I didn't work for one year. For a whole year, you didn't do any music? No, I just surfed. Wow. How did you、I、come out of it? I didn't even think about it. You didn't think about it? No. I was just surfing for a year. I traveled everywhere with Cassia and Desiree, and like, we're just traveling and surfing. What is it about surfing that you love so much? It's just so fun. And playful. It's like being a child and being at a playground. You like forget as an adult the feeling of that kind of joy. You forget that. You know, because at one point in your life, you like stop doing that.、Mm. You know, because surfing doesn't really give you anything. There's no like, you know, you're not like making money. For, I mean, some people are making money, but. But not even usually. You're just like for a surfing. Yeah. Yeah, like it's just like fun. Was it hard for you to get back into the water after Desiree passed? Because for me. I was so scared. Yeah, I get scared. I still get scared. I never used to be so scared of big waves. And when I actually see sets now or big waves, I have anxiety. I struggle. No, I never had that feeling before. But it wasn't a big day when she went out. It was just a regular. It was big. Oh, it was big. It was really big.、Oh. It was really big. It was a really big day.、I、But she was also like, we would surf like probably like waves that were too big for us、mm-hmm. all the time. But I never felt scared because I was with her. And after she died, I'm like, I definitely have anxiety now. I don't, I'm、That's, trying to overcome it still. Me too. When I, I go、can't. out with Cassia, she knows that about me. So she sees my fear and she's really like treats me like a baby and it makes me feel safe.、Mm-hmm. But I think. 
when I go out with other instructors, because now I only go out with instructors. I won't go out by myself. Really? Yeah, because I'm just too aware. Scared. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware of like the way that it can take life away. I know. And even though that's such a freak accident and it doesn't happen often, it happens. It happens to someone close to you. Yeah. It's different when it happens to someone, someone close to you. And also I grew up in a place where people did die surfing too. Because mm. people surf big waves in Carmel and Monterey and, and Santa Cruz. And so I, those are more like extreme examples of people surfing very, very big waves. That well, Also, it was really big when she surfed. Yeah. No, I get anxiety. Yeah. Um, I wish I didn't. It's really, I hate it. it. And I, and it makes me feel out of control. And one time when I was in Costa Rica, when I first started surfing, maybe like two years ago, Mm -hmm. I saw this like flock of pelicans fly over and I knew I started crying. Like just because that's, I was telling you the story earlier of my tattoo that Desiree did. It feels that she was there to be like, no, it's okay. You can surf. But it is interesting how I feel so much fear. And when I go with other instructors, they just don't understand how arrested I am by the fear in the same way that, like, Cast does. So I really appreciate going out with her. And I also will go on hard tops. <laughs> I only go on soft tops. Me too. Really? I only serve soft tops. Yeah. No. And it feels good. I, I don't, I'm, like, scared now. Yeah. Yeah. But surfing still brings you a lot of joy. Oh, my God. It's so fun. I can't wait to surf after pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> is it a place that you find inspiration or you, you just love it for the experience of it in itself? I just love it because it's fun. I, it's like such a unique thing that you share with other people too. Because like my surf buddies are teenagers, you know? Yeah. One of the things I've always appreciated about you is that you have friends of all ages. Yeah, I do. You really do. I really do. Has it always been that way? Uh, no, I think it's f- actually from surfing. Really? Yeah, because like you don't feel any, you know, age when you're in the ocean having fun. Like everyone's like the same age. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think like from surfing, I just like started connecting with so many different people. And, you know, it's like one of the people like spend the most is like the, the teens that lived in Malibu. They're like my boys and I have such special relationship with them. Yeah, like I have so many different, like I have one of my best friends is like 70, you know? It's like I have so many friends who are a different age and I don't feel any, yeah, I guess like it's, I think from surfing, it's like kind of changed my, the way I connect with people. How so? Because you can share joy and fun with any age. And it's very tactile, that kind of fun. It's not something you need to explain or describe. You're just experiencing it. Yeah, you're just experiencing. I know it's like actually really funny when my daughter comes home because I'm always hanging out with the teenage boys and she just goes like, what? Like she doesn't understand. (laughs) She thinks it's so funny. Because they're her age or younger. Because they're her age. (laughs) Yeah. Like she finds it so funny. Has she tried to surf or is she interested in doing the things that you like to do, like music and surfing? And She makes music and um, I think she really is scared of surfing because of Desiree. I mean, that's probably a huge trauma in her life. She's really scared from that. But yeah. she doesn't fear you going out. She does. Oh, she does? She does. That really traumatized her. I mean, she was, what, 11? She was probably like 11 when she died. Yeah, she was really young. She was so close to her. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. It's something that you can't... Experiencing death with intimacy is something that you hope for no child. 
but it's something that makes you understand life in a different way too mm-hmm. and in a way it's a wisdom it's yeah like she can understand life and death more deeply but I do think that surfing is really scary but it can be such a beautiful joy when I did start surfing finally because I've been around it my whole life I was like wow this is so fun I can see the childlike thing mm-hmm. but then also I'm very cautious and I find a lot of I my whole life is like being a big kid so I find so many things in life to just be like pure even if it's like playing a board game why don't you just go on a small wave day yeah I do only you know I do only don't, go. you don't have to I never go on big days you don't need to no and you I like just be fun I like being in the like little white water too I don't have to go into the like you can deeper just be area. like baby wave yeah that's me, baby wave club yeah because it is so fun it's so fun um and i yeah cassie and i are trying to plan a secular sabbath like surf and ambient music I'm going. Trip. yeah you I'm have to come to you have to so come fun. it would be really fun yeah well, you guys can do ufo at it oh my god well i'm really excited for you to have a baby and i can't wait to see what comes out <laughs> thank you for coming on to tub talks thank you Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. To get updates from Secular Sabbath on upcoming sensory experiences, follow us at Secular Sabbath. Let's get activated together.